Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thanks for joining us today. Well, remote work, we've talked about that subject a lot over the past couple of years, but you know what? Remote work keeps evolving, so there's a lot more to talk about. Organizations have been changing the rules around it, workers have been shifting their demands, and the pieces keep moving. So, time for an update. To talk about the new trends in remote work, I'm joined on this episode by Yelena Georgievich. Now, she's Vice President of People at Thumbtack. Thumbtack, as you may know, is a technology company that helps people care for and improve their homes. It was recently included in a list of the best companies for remote workers compiled by the business publication Quartz. Thumbtack is a company that is virtual first. They're not forcing people back to work, which is a little bit rare right now. So I thought it was a good opportunity to ask questions about why this is working and maybe what they've learned at Thumbtack. I had a great conversation with Yelena. Please stay with us to hear it. Well, why are some companies remaining virtual first? To talk about that, I'm joined by Yelena Georgievich. She's Vice President of People at Thumbtack. Yelena, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I always like to start by asking my guests about their own backgrounds. How did you end up doing what you're doing and having this career? Yeah, absolutely. So I started with a much more traditional business background. After graduating university, I joined Bain & Company, the management consulting firm, and went to business school and went back to consulting. Um, And when I made the leap into tech, I started as chief of staff at Thumbtack and had my hand in the operations of the company. And I became really engaged and enamored with how do you run an organization and how do you help it thrive? And I had an opportunity um, to lead the people team. And as I reflected on the opportunity, I realized that the common thread through all of my experiences, all of my passion projects, all of my side gigs at work was that I was always drawn to people topics, whether it be writing company values or redesigning a parental leave policy or helping with reorgs. And so I made the plunge three years ago and have never looked back. Cool. And tell me a little bit about Thumbtack too, because I think it's significant. This is a company in the tech space. Tech companies were kind of leaders in the virtual experiment and they've had different kind of reactions or different policies since. Yeah, so Thumbtack as a company um, is is setting out to help millions of people take care of and improve their homes and helping home pros build their businesses. So we're really in the business of helping homeowners and helping pros grow their businesses. All right, let's talk about the remote part of this because everyone was forced into this in 2020, right? There have been good experiences, bad experiences. If you had to kind of characterize what the journey's been like, how would you describe it? Yeah, I think being forced into it is certainly how we started. Um, And for us, um, it's been an interesting journey because before COVID, until I think it was March 7th or so is when we went home, uh, or maybe March 10th, um, we were a fully in-person, in-office company. You couldn't even work from home on Fridays. Like We were that adamant about the power of the office to build connection, to foster a strong culture. Um, And that was really our vehicle um, for our building um, culture and building connection. Um, And so we were forced into it and really sort of stumbled through it. But very quickly, we saw one massive um, benefit of working virtually and that all of a sudden it fostered a much more globally inclusive experience for all of our employees. 
We used to have three offices, San Francisco, Salt Lake, and Manila. Um, and there was certainly kind of an HQ versus everybody else dynamic. You know, folks in other offices had to slack the, the folks in HQ to say, hey, can you please turn on the Zoom? We're waiting. Um, and the meeting's already been going on for 10 minutes. Um, all of a sudden, everybody was unequal on Zoom. Our little Zoom boxes, as kind of hard as they are sometimes, um, really level the playing field. And so quickly, we found that there were some real benefits to virtual, of course, and we instantly overcame some of the cultural challenges that we had spent years trying to overcome. Um, and so we got really interested in this. And about six months into COVID, we really pulled kind of pulled up and thought really hard about what kind of culture do we want to create and what's the mes- best model going to be for us long-term. And that's where we started um, really thinking long-term and permanently about virtual work and took the took the full step and, and plunge into it. You know, that culture part of it, this is what we keep hearing, right? We can't create a culture when everyone's not together. Early pandemic, we had these horrible experiments. Let's all make a virtual quilt or whatever it is. What are the things you found that have worked? in terms of creating a culture? So I think your culture is much more about having clarity about what are your values and ensuring that the people who work at your company are aligned with those values. Of course, there's activities and tactics that you employ to bring people together. But um, something that we really benefited from, a total coincidence of chance, is that we had launched our new company values several months before COVID started. We had spent six months rewriting them. We were about a decade old as a company and pulled up and said, hey, we're a decade in. We want to make sure that our values serve us for the next decade. And so January of 2020, we relaunched our values um, and really galvanized around them. And so we had this real clarity about what matters to us, what our expectations are for how we behave, how do we interact with each other, what's the DNA of the humans working here, um, and so that really guided us. And so as we were either, you know, recruiting remotely or onboarding remotely, connecting just through team meetings, we had our values as the foundation on which to build our culture. Um, and we found that during the first year of COVID, we felt like our culture got stronger. And I really credit that to the clarity that we had of our company values, because every single hire that we made or whenever we did a performance review, it was with the backdrop of the values that we have. So that's where we spent our energy was how do we really bring our values to life and make sure that we're recruiting and retaining employees that are aligned with them, less of what are all the tactical activities that are going to bring people together. It's been a learning experience. You know, I I guess I'm privileged. I started this podcast in early 2020, just after we were all sent home, basically. And I got to speak to people as they navigated what they were navigating. And so many people said it was hard on managers, middle managers, higher C-suite, everybody, they didn't know how to do this. And I think some of the more successful companies were the ones who did support managers. What were the things that you found worked to do that? Or maybe you didn't have that problem. No, that's certainly something that we um, we, we spent a lot of time thinking about. Um, and we're still, honestly, on the journey of supporting our managers and thinking about how do we develop them. I think when the first kind of during the real kind of shock and the transitionary period, um, kind of in those first six to 12 months, I think our approach to supporting managers and leaders was really into, is was leaning into two core concepts. One was about the power of context, transparency, and information. And the second was around really understanding how to support the well-being of the human beings that work for us and work at Thumbtack. Um, and so we, during the beginning of COVID, we tripled down on internal communications, on cascading information, always starting with leaders and managers so that they always knew what was happening 
anytime we had to make a big announcement, um, especially if it was something that, you know, would really impact people potentially negatively, we would always pre-wire the senior leaders and then the managers and then go to the whole company. Um, we've also invested in an intranet. So the access to knowledge is much more readily available. Um, and so it was sort of this like power of the power of knowledge of information was something that was really important for us to support managers. So they always felt like they were in the know and always on the front foot in terms of understanding what was happening at the company so they could be proactive in managing their teams. Um, but then the other side of the equation was the much more human element of you know, everybody was terrified for their their well-being and their family's health and economically as well. Um, and so we really invested um, in mental health resources and paid leaves and medical leave and COVID sick leave, you know, all these different things. And we're both, we both supported managers in, in giving them tools that they could use to support their teams, but also tried to take some of the the important burden onto the company and onto the people team, because there's a lot of things that managers shouldn't be worrying about with the well-being of their employees. Like they shouldn't be engaging with like, you know, serious mental health conversations with their employees. That's what a therapist is for. Um, so we also were thoughtful about where can, where can the company employ resources to take some of the lift off of managers. Um, and then now where we're at um, in a kind of our next evolution of supporting managers through virtual work is really starting to focus on, how do we develop managers? We're investing in redefining our, our, our defining our manager philosophy, developing training programs for them, so that a lot of the core management skills that are um, just bread and butter, whether you're virtual or in person, are really strengthened um, across the board. And I should have asked this earlier: what percentage do you have virtual versus in person at any time right now? I mean, we're, we're virtual first. Um, so we do have small office locations, but relatively few employees show up and it's purely if they want to go into the office. Um, so I would say on a given day, 99 or 98% of employees are working virtually. A very small minority that come to the office. We still wanted it to be available. Um, we developed the concept of the library um, and as we were launching Future of Work. And the intent is to create a space kind of like a university library where you can both go socialize at the cafe and kind of avoid your homework, or you can go heads down and do your work. Um, our libraries are not actually really meant for collaboration because so much of our team is virtual um, and remote um, and distributed. Um, so yeah, so some people do go in for those purposes to socialize, to get their work done, but all teamwork is done virtually given how distributed our workforce is. Well, that's interesting. I mean, have you changed your office footprint? I assume you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as every lease has come up, we've evaluated if we need it. Most leases are, you know, are constantly getting down, um, downsized or even just um, we're, let, we're um, kind of stepping out of cities from a formal real estate footprint. So not everyone's going to love every work arrangement, right? You must have had some conversations with people. Are there kinds of workers who prefer virtual first or are there others who would like to get back to being in person more often? Um, that is absolutely true. Um, and it's a lesson that I had forced myself to learn before we made the final decision. Um, one thing that we did as we were deciding to go virtual was we did a very extensive 30 minute survey of all of our employees to understand their preferences because we really wanted to make sure their voice was heard. Um, and we saw preferences across the board. And so something I realized early on was we're probably going to piss off 20% of people, no matter what decision you make. Um, what was surprising though, was how the, the variability of who wanted what, um, you know, as an example, I was surprised that 
our sales team actually wanted to be virtual because I would have thought, you know, stereotypically sales teams are very sociable, but they're on the phones all day. So they don't actually care where they work. Um, I was also surprised to learn that our engineering team wanted to be in person. A lot of their work is solitary. So they really want to be able to get meals with their friends while, you know, between four hour stints of coding. Um, so I think that there are differences. Um, but from a personal level, I think the types of workers that are really um, open to virtual work are ones who really want to find uh, an amazing and healthy balance between having an ambitious career and having the flexibility to serve their personal interests and responsibilities. Um, and also ones who are very impact oriented. Like we believe that where you live has no bearing on the impact that you can have. Um, and that's the type of worker that we're trying to attract. Like we don't want, we don't, there's no opportunity for office politics at Thumbtack. Um, <laughs> Because you can't go schmoozing the hallways with an executive, so but you can have a huge impact, and just the quality and caliber of your work is what drives the impact you can have, and that is who thrives best um, in our virtual environment. And that's a huge shift. I think people are coming to terms with that—the office politics and getting ahead the way you used to get ahead. Let's talk about younger workers. You know, I 100% agree with you, virtual first. However, I keep hearing the argument that if you're young, this is where you socialize a lot of the time. You meet your friends, sometimes you meet your partner at work, and certainly you get mentored when you're with other people. How have you gotten around that? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I think it's um, that is definitely dynamic. And it's really hard to replace the very informal apprenticeship nature of mentoring somebody in person. That is certainly true. Um, I think what we've found and what we've, um, experimented with is taking a very nuanced approach to the needs of different functions. So to give you two examples, actually to take it back to sales and engineering, um, if you take our very entry-level sales folks or support folks, um, these are jobs that we hire dozens and dozens of people for in start class. We have we have to train them up. You really need to learn the role. Um, but it's, it's um, a very trainable kind of playbook-oriented approach. And so there... Being in office doesn't really matter. What matters is the caliber of the training and the caliber of your first month or two on the job. And so there, what we found is what's important is to invest in learning and development, enablement, training, quality assurance. Like that's how we get very entry-level people set up for success in in those roles. It has nothing to do with being um, virtual. Um, Or another function that's totally different, engineering. This is a real apprenticeship oriented craft. Like you do kind of want to sit next to somebody and look at their code base and have somebody check your code. Um, And so there we really invest in uh, a buddy and mentor kind of system and um, the management as a craft. Um, In engineering, it's one of the few functions where we have pure play managers that aren't responsible for any IC work um, because it's so important that management is um, a very well-developed skill so that as you have entry-level folks coming in out of undergrad, they're getting the mentorship that they need. So I think for us, the takeaway is much more about being very deliberate about what are the unique needs of training people in specific functions, um, as opposed to categorical kind of um, perspectives about demographics. Um, And then to your point about socializing, um, I think certainly like that is a dynamic and that's who you often see in our libraries is younger workers who have built a real sense of community and that's what they were intended for. But I think what we've also found is that if you invest in building a really strong team dynamic and a real sense of collaboration within your team, across teams, a lot of friendships are forged as well, working virtually. 
So people can live everywhere, right? They don't have to be in San Francisco or wherever. Do you make a point of having them come in for quarterly meetings or Christmas parties, holiday parties, anything like that or not? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So we call our model virtual first, but not virtual only. Um, And not virtual only is very important. Um, Like I said, from when we were in person before COVID, we really invested in our culture. And that was something that was that sense of connection, belonging is a real strength of thumbtacks and something we wanted to preserve. So a really critical component of our model was our event strategy um, and making sure that um, teams, departments, organizations can get together on a regular basis. Um, and so our, over the last three years, we've experimented with different iterations and every year looks different because we're constantly learning. But to give you an example for this coming year in 2024, the way we're envisioning it is that in the first half of the year, um, teams will get together in smaller groups for more informal offsites where they can do brainstorming and strategizing or team building. Um, It's really up to the the leader of the kind of the team of like a 10 or 20 person team to decide what's best going to work for them within the budget. And then they can go wherever they want and do whatever they want. And then in the second half of the year, we'll have a more formal event where huge groups of people are coming together for more formal programming, um, for more formal kind of brainstorming and road mapping exercises. The CEO will come and present the company strategy at that meeting. It'll feel more like a um, company meeting or a conference. Um, and then we have opportunities for what we call ad hoc offsites or strategic offsites, where if there's just a, a problem that has to go get solved and you want to have two days with a whiteboard, you can request funding for that as well. So this is actually a budget item. Yeah, exactly. It's a huge investment that we make as a company. Absolutely. Yeah. And if we were for like, we've effectively transitioned our real estate expenditure from before COVID to our event um, investment. But yeah, it's a huge investment that we're very proud of and think is really critical. When you look back on these almost four years now, is there one thing that has surprised you that you've learned? Yeah, I think one thing that has surprised me, um, I think that there, you know, there's a lot of conversation around you know, an important reason to go back to the office is for collaboration. Work is better done in person, especially brainstorming, collaborative work. I don't know. I think there's some merit to that. There's some we've we've kind of been able to manage without it and have done very, very well as a business. We're collaborating virtually. What I do think what has surprised me and I do think is a challenge with virtual work is that there's a lot of power in the moments. I call them the moments in between. You know, it's in between a meeting where you're going to fill up your coffee cup or when you stumble into somebody in the bathroom or you're you're getting re- picking up your bag to go to the subway um those 5 10 minute conversations of spontaneity are often where there's a lot of new sparks that that fly and new ideas that come um and that is really important there's a lot of value to those little moments both for relationship building as well as collaboration and ideation um and so that's been something that we've had to work hard to build the muscles to sort of recreate in different ways. Um, So what I have done personally, what I encourage people to do is have a lot of quick five minute phone calls. Like I have a colleague who after meetings, we walk to the bathroom together on our phones. Like we'll we'll hang up on zoom and call each other for like five minutes just to kind of chit chat um, about it and debrief. Um, And that's our way of recreating what used to be our walk to the water fountain. Um, So I think the, the meta lesson and the kind of, what surprised me through this is that there are um, really unique kind of human needs and purposes to different types of interactions um, that I think humans need and professional workers need. And you've got to 
be really thoughtful and deliberate about figuring out ways to meet those needs in totally different manners than before. Do you have some advice for other companies who are not, who are not embracing it the same way you are, honestly, virtual? I mean, my main advice, um, whether, you know, it's companies that are still deciding what to do, or they might have a model that's not perfectly working for them is that you've got to be really deliberate about what you are solving for. Um, and what are your guiding principles? What is your why? Um, our, our first value as a company is lead with why. Um, and what, when we set out on this, this effort to decide our future work model, initially it started as this logistics question of how many days a week in the office or how many offices should we do a hub and spoke model? It was all kind of numbers and days and locations. And we quickly realized that we're actually asking ourselves a cultural question of what kind of culture do we want to build? What are the most important principles and values that we want to kind of keep close? Or what do we want to, how do we want to grow and stretch as a culture? Um, And so what quickly, it quickly transitioned from kind of a logistics question to a culture definition question. And we had this massive conversation with our top 40 leaders where I laid out here are our cultural strengths. Like we have a very inclusive and belonging oriented culture, deep connection. Here are things that we historically haven't been good at. We weren't good at flexibility. We didn't afford employees any flexibility. Um, We also historically had these divides between offices um, that we wanted to overcome. And so that's what we were solving for is how to create a more inclusive, equitable, flexible, effective workplace. And that gave us the clarity of thought to, and made the decision really easy that virtual was best for us. So that is my advice is for companies to think really deeply about what are they solving for? What is their why? And what are their guiding principles that are going to make their business and their employees successful and use that as the basis of the decision for what they should do? Interesting thoughts, Yelena. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Yelena Georgievich is Vice President of People at Thumbtack. Well, that's it for this episode. If you'd like to know more about Thumbtack and Yelena, take a look at our show notes. You'll find some links there. If you'd like to connect with me, I'm on Twitter, or X actually, at at RelentlessEco. Now, if you did like this conversation about work and the future of work, please take a moment, leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. That will really help people to find us and it will help keep these conversations going. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work and the Future Podcast with Linda Nazareth is a Relentless Economics production. <laughs>